0: I scream, you scream, we all scream, for quality science fiction and fantasy content. For an extra scoop of sword and lasery goodness, go to patreon.com slash sword and laser.
1: Hey everyone, welcome to the Sword and Laser. I'm Veronica Belmont.
2: And I'm Tom Merritt.
1: Sword and Laser is a book club, but it's so much more. We bring you author interviews, news from the world of science fiction and fantasy, and awesome discussions from fans just like you.
2: And we're very excited to have with us uh, back again on the show R.A. Salvatore, of course, the author of too many books to mention, but most recently, uh, Timeless, the new Dristward novel, uh coming out on September 4th. So depending on when you're listening to this, probably already out. You should go out and check it out. Uh, Bob, thanks for joining us.
0: It's good to be back.
2: Yeah, it's good to have you back. So let's start with Timeless. Tell us a little bit about this book. It's it's a Drist book, but it's a little bit different.
0: Yeah. Well, a couple of years ago, you know, I finished up Hero, and then we got the news. Well, I knew before Hero came out, but that Wizards of the Coast was pretty much done with books at that point. And so it was kind of sad. And Mm -hmm. I was hoping that things might work out. And things did work out through the hard work of lots of people at Wizards and HarperCollins and my agent and me. And, but I was the whole time I was thinking about, you know, we've had a break from Dritz for a little bit and now we're coming back to it. So what do I want to do with this book? And so there are three things I wanted to accomplish in the book. And the first is, I have to tell a little bit more after what ha- happened at the end of Hero, because it was a pretty dramatic ending to Hero. And a lot of people were like, wait a minute, this can't be it. I need to see what happens. <laughs> so I had to tell that story. But For many years, I've been talking about going back in time in the realms and telling the story of how my crazy walking deus ex machina, Jarl Axel, became friends with Dritz's father long before Dritz was ever born. So I did the book in two different storylines. Two sections of the book are about the past and two carry forward in the present. And that way I figured I was giving new readers a chance to see the Dark Elf City for the first time, like Mm. Homeland, but through a different perspective than I had done in Homeland. Because you're seeing it with different characters, different motivations. And that was very fresh to me. It was, it was, it was, even though it's something I did 30 years ago, it was fresh. Hmm. And also to a lot of my readers have been clamoring for that book, but I hadn't been able to do it with wizards because they kept pushing me forward.
3: Hmm.
0: And so those are the first two things. And then the third thing I really wanted to accomplish, and this I try to do with every Dritz book, is I want anyone who reads it to feel like they felt when they read the first one. Probably a simpler time in their lives when they had time to do entire weekend D&D games or whatever, college or high school or whatever. And I always want to, I want the Dritz books to be like a portal back to, uh, to a good time in someone's life.
1: I feel like then the, the name feels so significant, not only to the characters in the story, but like you were just saying, it, it should make, when you read these, they, they feel almost timeless um, in a sense. But what's, what's, so what's going on in the story? Like, where is, is Dritz?
0: Well, it, the, in the parts in the past, he's not there, obviously. He's not born yet. <laughs> mm-hmm. But in the parts in the future, he has just been reunited. Well, still gonna ruin hero. But he some really weird things happened at the end of hero and dritz is in a place of complete peace, except that there's a lot of bad stuff about to happen in the area that they thought they had just changed mm-hmm. fairly dramatically with the, um, at the end of the last series, the dwarves had reclaimed their kingdom, a different kingdom. And, uh, the halflings had built a village and they were, The relationship between all of the parties involved, including the Dark Elves, who had come to the surface with Jarl Axel, was looking like a peaceful and promising future. And all of that's about to explode. So Dritz is in the middle of it as usual.
1: Now that you've kind of broken out of the, the linear uh, storytelling mode of, of having to continuously push forward with, with the novels and, and being able to explore like previous events and events in the past, is that something you want to do more of?
0: I think for the, all three of the books in this series, I intend to, to go back and continue telling the story of Jarl Axel and Zach Nfain, as well as moving forward. I, I like the format for this series. Because the thing that I'm really looking for are the parallels. You know, a lot of, one of the themes of the, of the Dritz books, of all my work, is that, you know, it's that Mark Twain saying, history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. Mm. And so without the events being the same, I'm trying to show the, evolution, uh, the evolutions of the characters in the microcosm and kind of relating that to the evolutions of the world itself, of the Forgotten Realms. The Realms is old enough now. Um, The history of the realms is rich enough now that the realms has really evolved both in my books, but well beyond the books with the thousands and thousands of other great books and products that have come out in the world. Mm -hmm. It's a very different world than it was in 1987 when it first appeared or in 1967, I think it was when Ed Greenwood first created it when he was (laughs) eight years old. Believe that. Um, So, the realms has evolved, and I'm showing the growth of the characters within that. And there's, there's kind of these nice parallels I'm finding.
2: We get a, a especially when we're, we're when you're talking about a, a series that covers as as much time uh, as as the Drist novels do. We all, we always get people asking, "Do I need to start at the beginning? Can I jump in anywhere?" And authors sometimes they don't care. Sometimes they have a preferred order. Where where do you stand on that?
0: Well, if somebody's never read any of my books and they say, "Which one should I read?" I, I asked them, do you, like, do you like fantasy with lots of different races like elves and dwarves and halflings and all that? Or do you like it more human-centered? And if it's, if it's more human-centered, then I would give them The Highwayman or particularly Child of a Mad God, the book that I had that came out earlier this year. Um, but if they like that high, the, kind of the high fantasy with the elves and the dwarves and the orcs and the whole, the whole Tolkien-esque thing going on, Um, I would say, if you you want to read one of my books, it would be the Dritz books, read Homeland to start. However, saying that, I purposely wrote this series more like uh, Sherlock Holmes from James Bond than The Wheel of Time or Song of Ice and Fire, where those books all weave together. Mm -hmm. Um, So you can't pick up the fifth book in The Wheel of Time and have any idea what's (laughs) going on. You could pick up the fifth book in the Dritz series. You could pick up the 10th or the 15th and just have a great adventure and hopefully like it enough that you want to go back and read the rest of them. But, uh, that was on purpose. I, I did these books more in a, like I said, the Sherlock Holmes, James Bond, Bond format, my demon war books, the seven books of the demon war series are like, I wouldn't say pick up the fourth book in that series. Cause you'd be lost, but then the, in the dark elf books, I think when the Thousand Orcs came out, the Thousand Orcs came out right around the time of the Tolkien movies, the mm-hmm. first ones. Um, I think the, two, I think the um, two Towers wasn't quite out yet, but the, you know, so the Jackson movies were now rolling. And so orcs all of a sudden were in the conscious, <laughs> you know, the collective consciousness
3: <laughs> right? With the,
0: with the name orc on the cover uh-huh. and this incredible cover by Todd Lockwood. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but the cover looks like it's got a story as big as a novel, just the cover. And with that book, 20, 30, 40,000 new readers showed up. I see, I meet people all the time. See how I started with thousand orcs. And, um, for some reason that one and Grim was another one. A lot of the books had distinctive covers, even within the series. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, they, they all kind of have the same thematic flair, except for Timeless is very different. But um, whenever we get a cover that looks different, we would get new readers.
1: Well, I am I have to say I have the copy of Timeless that just arrived today, actually. And it is a stunning cover.
0: Isn't that amazing? I That's the same artist who did um, the last three Dritz books and did the more traditional. Hmm yeah it's fantastic and and you know again, when I wrote Timeless, I wrote it specifically for the I, the I was trying to satisfy three groups of readers, the ones who had stayed with it for all all along and and had gone through the end of hero and wanted to see what happened from there, plus also giving them a book or a story they have really been asking me for for years, which all Axel and fame in the past, but also for people who had maybe got left behind in the last few years because we did a lot of dritz books from like after 38 studios collapsed i um started doing two dritz books a year for a few years to try to forget that experience i think and uh so there were there are people you know if i go to a signing i have to be careful or a seminar or a convention or something i have to be careful what i say because there's, there are 500 people in the room there, and they're on 20 different books in the series. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I had to write Timeless for people who were behind. I had to write Timeless for people who wa- were all caught up and wanted to see where the book was going, where the story was going from there. And I, I really wanted to write Timeless for people who hadn't read any of my books before. So they, they can come in and they can see the Dark Elf City the same way that those first readers saw it in Homeland.
1: That's something I don't think about too much is how difficult it must be as an author to have to do like a reading or a an event at a convention and have such a potentially mixed audience of of people at different points in your in your series, especially especially something that's been around as long as as your books have.
0: Yeah, but I tend to warn people that, you know, the last book like if we're talking about the Dark Elf books, the last book's been out for a couple of years now and mm-hmm. If you get a spoiler, sorry, but after after a year, it's on you.
2: (laughs) There is there is a limit. There's a certain point, right?
0: Yeah, I remember. I was at a convention a few years ago, and or a couple of years ago, and somebody asked me a question about Chewbacca, and somebody in the audience just screamed out like, "What do you mean Chewbacca got killed?"
1: (laughs) Oh my gosh! Well, that that actually ties in perfectly to our first audience question from Christopher, who Uh, says. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I had a feeling that this might come up. Uh, he wants to know, how does how does Bob feel about Vector Prime and the Chewbacca drama no longer being canon? Also, Christopher says, I love all his books, including VP, and want to thank him for novels that helped me through my teenage years. Well,
0: that was nice of Christopher. Yeah. Um, how do I feel about it not being canon? I feel like Disney paid a lot of money for it and they can do whatever they want. And this, this idea of canon versus non-canon never really bothers me one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Because when I was reading the Dragonlance books, for example, if I was using ele- elements of them in my home Dungeons and Dragons game, I did it the way I wanted to. You have your home campaign. And it was once described to me by Phil Athens, my editor up at Wizards, that we tend to think of the author's books as their home campaign. This was before they wanted to tie everything together in the realms. So things could go kind of in disparate directions. Mm -hmm. And I've always kind of taken that to heart. So, I mean, I'm kind of glad that when I die, my tombstone won't say he killed Chewie the bastard. (laughs) Um, You know, now he's a Disney princess, so all is well. Um,
2: He killed Chewie, but it didn't stick.
0: It's all right. It didn't stick, right? They never found the body. Yeah, right. Um, (laughs) right. There you go. The, you know, all I care about is I want Disney to make good movies because I love the movies.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: So just make good movies for me. And, and if I get back to reading the books again, if I ever get the time to get back to reading the books again, just get good authors to write good books for me. Entertain me. Hear, here.
1: I have to say, though, I felt really pre- protective of you in a way when all that happened because I feel like you <laughs> suffered so much and then just to wipe it off just be like nope that never happened it was all for nothing all the pain all the agony so I just you know, wanted to it, put that it, out there it
0: was magnified to me a thousand times over and I don't want to be a downer here but it, it happened the book came out at the darkest time in my life the book came out I had to cancel the book tour because I was spending my brother's last days with him. And so for the next three months, I'm answering these letters from people furious at me for killing a character in the book after burying my brother. Mm-hmm. It was very surreal. Um, but you know what? It, it Life is full of, of of adventure. And that was just an adventure. I don't, I mean, for years, every time I, one of those long fluorescent lights flickered, I figured it was somebody with, with a lightsaber finally found me and was going to end Um, you know, it's pretty powerful that people have such strong emotions toward the written word. And I get this all the time. I get it every week. You know, you open a, you open a fan letter and it's like, look, I just want to, I don't like calling fan letters. I'm going to change that. You open a letter from a reader. You open a letter from somebody who's on the road of adventure with you. Mm -hmm. That's the way I tend to look at it. And they tell you that, you know, if it wasn't for your work they might not have survived high school because they were in this deep depression or whatever. And they had no friends and they found friends in your book or things like that. You hear these things all the time and it's, it takes your breath away because it's kind of hard to believe that anyone's even reading your books, let alone being affected by them, let alone having life changing events or, or feelings because of them. It's, it's a pretty, It's an unimaginable blessing to me to be allowed into other people's lives through my work and to maybe be doing something positive with people I don't even know. Well,
2: that brings us to Connor's question, who asks... How the hell does he write such amazingly engaging characters? Personalities, backstories, mannerisms, all dragging us into the story, immersing readers completely, leaving us massively invested in the characters and therefore in sequels. As a new author myself, this is the biggest struggle I feel bringing emotional investment from the reader into your characters.
0: If a, if a person's going to show up in my books, I get invested in that person. And I character person to me, they're people. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the jobs, if, if you watch a movie, the actors are bringing the persona to the screen, right? Mm-hmm. If you watch, if you watch um, Star Wars, you know, you've got, you've got the actors up there playing Han and Luke and Leia and all of that. And they're bringing that character to life. The author has to do that with all the characters. And I try to take, I take that to an extreme and I do it, my, I think, my biggest trick is that I break all the rules of English 101. Um, you know, in English 101 and even English one, e, even English 401 until recently, the whole rule of writing a book is don't change point of view. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I wrote The Crystal Shard, which was my first book um, that was published, my first book that I actually went through the editing process, my editor came back to me and said, you know, what are you doing? You can't, you're changing point of view. And I said, Downright right I am, and he said, "You can't do that. You'll confuse the reader." I said, well, were you confused?" He said, "Well, no." And I said, well, "Then shut up." And he said, "No. I mean, I'm I'm trained. I'm a trained reader. You know, I have I have degrees in this stuff. I, I this is what I do for a living." And I said, "It's not going to confuse the readers because the people reading this book grew up with television, and all television is is point of view change." That's right. So by doing that. By having point of view shifts, as long as I'm clearly demarking it with the five stars or however the publisher wants to do it, or, you know, leaving an extra space between the paragraphs when you're changing point of view, as long as there's no, there's nothing that a kind of a tired eye or a lazy eye will miss by having a clear demarcation and you switch the point of view, I can get people in the heads of different characters. And that's the way I like to write. You know, I remember when I was starting to write the Dark Elf trilogy, which was the sequel of the prequel trilogy, but it was the fourth, fifth and sixth book in the series. I thought I, w- I love Roger Zelazny in the Amber books. And I thought maybe I'd write them first person because i would never tried that. And it's very difficult. Mm-hmm. And Zelazny's might be the best I've seen out of it still. So I thought I'd go back and, and do it that way. But then I realized I like battle scenes too much. And you can't really do battle scenes involving more than one combatant first person. Because if, you're, if the guy fighting is watching what his friend's doing, he's going to die. <laughs> so I stuck with my formula, with my, with my sensibilities, my, my growing up on television sensibilities, and I changed point of views. I get in the head of each and every character, and that includes the bad guys.
1: That's cool. I feel like that's not a perspective you often get. um and and as I was gonna say, speaking of of battle scenes, uh, Melanie has a question about how much Dungeons and Dragons factors into your writing. Uh, she says oftentimes when I'm reading, it feels like his books are a narrated version of a gaming session, especially during those battle and fight scenes. I don't
0: know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't. it doesn't. Um, it's, it, it I mean, I don't play the characters in the game. Um, with the exception of one that I played in the game because I wanted to see if I could make him as annoying as I needed him to be. And when he got killed, everybody stood up and cheered. And I knew he was going in a book. That was Oliver DeBurrows, the highway halfling from my Crim- Crimson Shadow books. He's kind of a cross between an ego Montoya from The Princess <laughs> Bride and the Little French guy on the wall and Monty Python and the Holy Grail. <laughs> um but um I try to keep the game out of it. One time, I did actually write an anatomically correct fourth edition with the cards D and D fight scene, with Efren, the necromancer in the woods, and it nearly killed me. (laughs) It was brutal trying to do it. Um, So no, I I mean the gaming gives me I get I take some ideas from my gaming, I take some flavor from the gaming. Every now and then, I might take a line that somebody used in a game or a name that I like, that I came up with in a game. But no, I keep them separate. I don't play Dungeons and Dragons anymore. I play Demon Wars. So, there. Um, <laughs> there so I was, even though fifth edition is really good.
2: Scott has three things one statement, two questions. Uh, first, he wants to thank you for decades of enjoyment uh, that you've given him. Second, he wants to know how Clan Battlehammer did this softball season. <laughs>
0: Well, the first thing, decades of enjoyment. I love that. It's it, it's always weird to me to think that most of the people who will pick up the crystal shard for the first time are way younger than the book. <laughs> think about that.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Uh, Clan Battleham, we didn't do well last night, mostly because of me. I was really not. I was hurting bad. Mm. This weather out here has just clobbered me. The ragweed's up, so I had a terrible game. We lost last night, but it, we're we're nineteen and three, tied for first place. Wow. Okay. <laughs> and um it's going to be us and the team that beat us last night i think in the finals and these guys these are guys we've been playing against for years we're all friends we get out there and swear at each other and then after the game we all laugh yeah yeah still going strong uh, That's great. it's getting harder for me i mean guy hit a line drive by me last night and, I, and, I, and as it was coming i knew if i dove i could get it but i wouldn't get off the ground
1: oh yeah How How are you are field? yeah this i want to know what what position are you
0: I don't play first base now. I was pitching, but I got hit with a ball a few <gasps> years ago, and the doctor won't let me pitch anymore because I, had, I wound up with a blood clot in my leg from it. Oh, <laughs> my God. It's bad. Um, but, uh, yeah, I play first base now. I, I, I don't want to be the designated hitter. I find it boring. But, and I'm not the oldest guy on my team, which is kind of amazing. We have two guys on the team actually older than I am. Well,
2: somebody needs to get a ragweed cure to Team Battlehammer or Clan Battlehammer. Yeah,
0: it's going to be about a week. Tomorrow, everything's, it's been, it's been, this whole week has been 100 degrees with super humidity and Mm -hmm. just miserable out here in Boston. And, uh, but it's all breaking tomorrow. And, uh, as soon as the rains come, the ragweed will drop and be. and the air will, when the air gets nice and crisp in the fall, that's when I like it. That's when the ball goes a little bit further. Mm -hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. They right went for...
0: out to the fence last night, but the guy got it at the fence. But on a nice clear night, that one's gone. So we'll see.
2: Uh, Scott's last question is: Are there any plans to write books outside of the D and D and Corona worlds?
0: Uh, I don't know because this is really weird. But I've got um, you know, I did Child of a Mad God, and I just finished the sequel. I'm not sure if we've agreed on a name yet. But it, it follows in that same tone. And I've got one more to write in that series, which I can't wait to jump in on that one. Um, I've, Of course, I'm I'm working on the sequel to Timeless right now. And I'm almost done. I better be almost done or Collins is going to yell at me. <laughs> so I'll finish that. I'll jump back into Demon Wars. I go to California in January. And I'm hoping to do very little work out there. And I actually spend a lot of time on the beach because I need it. And then I've got to finish, then I've got to do the, the last book in the Dritz series wow. um, next year at this time. It's very likely I will have nothing under contract. And it's getting to that point now where I really don't want to go and sign a bunch of books ahead of time. Mm -hmm. um at this point it's really that's when i ask myself the question what's next what do i want to do and i don't know yet i do have one other project that i really can't talk about now that i'm working on that's um kind of a little bit different for me um that we'll be announcing soon enough i'm sure but i i I can't by contract talk about it Mm -hmm. um Am I going back to Demon Wars? Am I going to continue with Dark Elf? Am I going to do something completely new? I've got some ideas for books that aren't their fantasy or, I mean, they aren't, they aren't high fantasy. They're, there's things I want to do. But I, next year at this time, I'm going to be faced with some of the biggest questions that I've had as a writer ever. But it's good because it's questions of what do you want to do? As yeah, opposed yeah. to, you know, what do you have to do? Mm-hmm.
2: Well, uh, when, when you get to the answers, uh, please come back and, and talk to us about it. We'd, we'd love to hear it.
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: Thank you so much for being on the show again. Um, of course, you can be followed on Twitter at r underscore a underscore Salvatore. Uh, where else can people follow your work?
0: Um, well, you go to Facebook. I've, I've got... Um, capital r period capital a period space Salvatore is my professional page over on facebook you can get me there i answer about 20 pms a day and i'm falling way way behind but i'm trying um and the other place that people can keep up would be um ra salva dot com that's, that's my still online. my
1: favorite i know that's still yeah, like my favorite thing gadget. on the internet i love it that's it's really gadget.
0: funny when i when i said it everybody laughed at me and Diane was like, no way. But everyone was laughing so much. She said, all right. Because she, she was trying to come up with a name for her store. I said, well, it's obvious, right? It's all right. Solve a store. And, and, everyone, and then she did it. But that's the <laughs> people, people can go and they can buy signed books. Um, you can get them signed. You can get them personalized. You know, Just tell me who to sign it to and I'll write something in the book for them. Do a lot of birthday gifts, Christmas gifts, all that kind of stuff. But Diane kind of it's the news up there as well so those are the places where i can be reached
1: awesome well we'll definitely have you back on the show the show to talk about your your new secret project and anything else you got going on thank you again
0: you're very welcome again it's nice talking with you two again
1: yeah and of course for all of you out there our show is currently entirely funded by our patrons thank you so much to all the folks who back our show and if you want to help us out you can head over to patreon.com sword and laser
2: You can also support the show by buying books through our links. We'll have a link to Timeless, a bunch of other RA Salvatore books, and lots of other good stuff to take a look at at swordandlaser.com slash picks.
1: Send us an email, feedback at swordandlaser.com. Our website is swordandlaser.com. All of our discussion happen over on goodreads.com slash swordandlaser. And you can call and leave us a voicemail at 415-7-SWORD-6. We'll see you next time. Bye.